Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. 720 WGN, you see it in the headlines every day. Elon Musk, Neuralink, what does it mean? Is this the future for people who have neurological conditions? Maybe this has the potential to help somebody use their arm or their legs again. We thought we'd turn to somebody who knows about this, and that is a friend who's a neurosurgeon at Northwestern Medicine Central DuPage Hospital, Dr. Christopher Ahuja. Thank you so much for joining us today. What's your take on the Neuralink? Is it is it exciting for people in your field? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Neuralink is a uh, fascinating technology because essentially what they've done is taken what we've been seeing before in decades of research with brain-computer interfaces, but they've managed to miniaturize it and make it wireless and increase the number of electrodes that they can put in the brain to potentially try and help people with fairly devastating illnesses. And so you would be able to operate your arm by just thinking you want your arm to move or your feet to walk. Is that kind of a layman's look at it? That is a, the long-term goal of this and other brain-machine interfaces. Right now, what Neuralink has done is their first step as part of the PRIME study is they've recruited a patient, they've implanted this uh, battery and communication device along with about a 1,000 electrodes into the movement center of the brain, and they're just recording the activity that comes off of that. In the future, they hope to be able to connect that to downstream motor outputs to allow muscles like arms and legs to be able to move. And the Food and Drug Administration approved these human trials last year, and then the first, first human implant has just taken place. And they're encouraging more U.S. citizens to sign up on the Neuralink website um, to be involved in future trials. What is the downside of being involved in a trial like this? There's got to be concerns, right? Well, the trial itself was uh, registered for patients with fairly debilitating illnesses, including high spinal cord injuries, where they lose use of the hands and the legs, or something called amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS. You have a progressive loss of movement of your arms and legs. So these are individuals who unfortunately have significant deficits, and so the risk-benefit risk analysis would be a little bit different for them versus a healthy patient. But anytime we do surgery on the brain, there are risks, things like bleeding or infection or injury of important structures. And so it works on a case-by-case basis that we um, analyze that benefit. And so technology like this has been around for a while. He's perfecting it by making it smaller and hopefully, well, just that, perfecting it, right? Yeah, that's correct. And I think part of what's exciting about when it's uh, Elon Musk, in addition to some of the ethos that surrounds him, is that we know Neuralink has many sister companies that have been very successful in advancing fairly complex technology. So if we take the Tesla batteries, for example, and the chemistry they've been able to develop there, or we take their uh, camera and self-driving abilities, the ability to process information very, very quickly, those types of technologies being integrated into a brain-computer interface is what I think is most exciting about it. And so this is something you and your colleagues are watching closely. Absolutely. We've been watching this uh, field uh, for a long time, and it's been going through a series of iterations and evolutions. And it's not just in isolation. It's how can we use this technology for other diseases? How can we combine this technology with other forms of treatment to give patients the best possible outcome? And it's really kind of a merger of human intelligence and artificial intelligence. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I think that's the... 
uh, again, the long-term vision for this. Right now, it seems to be more uh, on the basis of uh, taking the outputs and monitoring them and just seeing whether recording can be done safely, effectively, and that it's robust for the long term over five years for these uh, initial patients that will be transplanted. But in the long term, the vision is to take all of that raw data, the many leads of data that are coming from the brain, and be able to better process them into a much cleaner signal so that they have more functional output with it. People are asking online, do you think that it will have potential use for MS patients? It's a great question. So essentially any process that damages the brain or the spinal cord, which includes multiple sclerosis, any process that damages the brain or spinal cord could uh, benefit from something like this. Because the idea of it is that instead of using your natural wiring that exists in the brain and spinal cord, where the damage may be, we're going to bypass that by taking the data directly from the cortex of the brain and sending it somewhere else, whether that be the spinal cord itself or directly to the muscles. Dr. Christopher Ahuja is with Northwestern. He's a neurosurgeon. We're talking about uh, Neuralink and uh, not really developed by Elon Musk. He hires teams to develop and um, kind of perfect this type of technology. Is that correct? That's correct. I I think, you know, you have to have different folks involved, uh, different stakeholders involved whenever you're developing a new technology. Some of those form the leadership side, as he does, some form the investment side. Of course, there's many scientists and engineers. And then most importantly, you have to involve patients who are the ultimate stakeholders. They have to have buy-in and really want and be able to benefit from whatever you're trying to deliver. And the people that are signing up for the human trials, as you pointed out, they might be suffering from ALS or diseases that they know will take their life. So it really is a risk they're willing to take. In general, that's true. And uh, when we talk to these folks, sometimes it's not just walking that they're trying to get back. In fact, if we think of our basic daily functions, we get up in the morning, brush our teeth, feed ourselves, change our clothes, hold our children. All of those basic activities of daily living, being able to use your hands and your biceps and your deltoid muscles for those things are what people are actually trying to get back first. And walking is the one that we always think of as the big picture. And hopefully we can get folks to walk again, but it's actually these basic activities of daily living that they're trying to get back. And if they get that accomplished, it seems like this could be taken in so many directions. What do you see in the future when it comes to using this type of technology to help people facing a whole host of issues? You know, anything that uh, will work, we're happy to deploy and offer as a therapy for patients. Right now, When folks come to us with these illnesses, essentially once they're completed their rehabilitation after a few years, whatever they're left with in terms of function is what they have for life. We don't have a lot of therapeutic options. And so whether it's regenerative medicine through stem cells, brain-computer interfaces like this, or some type of other uh, drug or otherwise intervention, anything we can offer as a therapy for these patients would be most welcome. And somebody asked if damaged equilibrium is reversible, if that's something in the future that will be able to be reversed. Well, the the sense of balance and the sense of where your body is in space is part of the central nervous system. It comes from different circuits than the direct motor pathways that this one is tapping. But the idea is the same, that if we can restore the ability to sense where your body, your feet are in space, and we can restore those circuits that are responsible for equilibrium, then it may very well be possible, yes. 
and how how far down the line before we actually see this put to use and people's lives changed? Are we talking five years, 10 years, 20 years? Well, the trial itself for Neuralink uh, is scheduled to go for six years, and that includes five years of follow-up of the initial patients plus some time to analyze the results. There's another 40 companies that are doing brain-machine interfaces very similar to Neuralink that actually started a few years ago with their human trials. And so these things do take time, but it's important that we crawl before we walk, before we run. We need to have those first safety and longevity studies to make sure that what we're doing is safe and effective. And then if it is, we're able to begin translating that into the clinical population. And then it becomes an issue as to whether insurance will pay for it or whether you mortgage your house. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that is the state of it. These things are often expensive. It depends uh, a little bit on the societal motivation, on what the funding mechanisms are, and what the ultimate price point is that Neuralink or whatever successful company there may be decides they want to charge for it. Thank you so much for joining us and answering our questions and for the work you do every day, Doctor. Thank you for having me. That is Dr. Christopher Ahuja from Northwestern, a neurosurgeon. I think we'll be talking about that a lot more in the future. All right, news next with Steve on 720 WGN. (laughs) 